Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the John Kahn Report wherever you get your podcasts. And you can subscribe to us on YouTube at Empire Media. That's A-M-P-I-R-E. That would be much appreciated. Today, it's part two of my conversation with former Washington safety Matt Bowen as we discuss the NFL draft. We talk a lot about safety play because that's an area Washington wants to address, especially, again, that hybrid linebacker safety position that was filled by Landing Collins. This class goes beyond Kyle Hamilton, so we talk to Matt about that. And we talk about Matt's memories from his own draft experience, who the one legend he was picked one spot ahead of, a name that can break the ice for him at holiday parties. Matt also discusses a receiver he really likes, and we discuss linebacker play. Don't forget, you can follow Matt on Twitter at MattBowen41, and you can read my work on ESPN.com. I'll have a few stories up this week as we get ready for the NFL draft. Before I share my conversation, a couple things. Washington attended USC receiver Drake London's Pro Day on Friday. They were rep by Marty Herney, Scott Turner, and receivers coach Drew Terrell. But in a sign of their interest in him, London also will visit Washington this week as one of the top 30 visits. A visit could mean a few different things from getting more medical information to just getting to know a guy more and sometimes to make it appear that maybe their interest is stronger than it really is. Keep in mind, there are some guys they don't need to come visit because they're satisfied with what they know medically and personally about the guy. With London coming off an ankle injury, it could be a lot about medical information. They really do like him, and he would fill their desire to find a big receiver for this offense to pair opposite Terry McLaurin. They have speed with McLaurin, Curtis Samuel, De'Ami Brown. They could use that big target as well. And in this Scott Turner offense, one thing I've always heard is that they like to get those big targets, especially over the middle of the field. They want to find a guy like a Keenan Allen type, for example, somebody who can make Allen's a tremendous route runner. And I'm not saying this guy's Keenan Allen. I'm just saying a guy who's got some size can make some contested catches down the field. London can also run routes from a few different spots. So he does offer some versatility. Some of those spots you've seen maybe a tight end run the, some of these from some of those routes in the past leagues when he was at USC. It was kind of a some uh, tight end type roles at times. I talked to Bowen about London and he offers a concern that some others have. Did we see enough separation against Pac-12 DBs? What does that mean for the NFL? He's not the only receiver they like. They like both Ohio State receivers, though I think Chris Olave would probably probably be their choice of the two. I know there are some other teams who view uh, Jahan Dotson as the fourth receiver in this group. A lot depends for some teams on, James, on how they view Jamison Williams. I think the torn ACL will scare off some teams and probably this one. But given the depth of this receiver class, Washington could trade down, still get a guy they like, and add more picks. I know there are some safeties after the after certainly after Kyle Hamilton that they really do like. I do believe that would be the desired income, getting more picks. Again, somebody has to want to trade up to make this happen. I always kind of laugh when a little bit when people, fans, media, just assume that any team can trade back. Not the case. But it would absolutely be something they would like. The sweet spot in this draft is rounds two through four. And they clearly like to add more picks in that range. They lost their third rounder in the Carson Wentz deal. And yes, they'll host quarterback Carson Strong. He's a guy I could see being available in the fifth round in that range. That's where they'd like to add a quarterback. 
the big question with him will be the knees. And, and he's had multiple surgeries. I know he's some feel he's moving better now than he was earlier this offseason, which is a good sign for him. Arm isn't in question. There's a lot of inconsistency with his game, which is why he'd go in the fifth round. And even if healthy, I don't think he's going to go above the third round. So he's really going to be a would be viewed as a developmental type guy for them for a future role, probably as a backup. And when discussing mobility, please note it doesn't always mean running around making plays. It also means pocket movement. How do you move in the pocket? How do you create help create throwing lanes for yourself, like guys like Brady and all that who aren't you know going to go out and extend plays, but the ability to move in the pocket will be a key um, trait for a guy like a Carson Strong. And again, what they the desired outcome for them for a quarterback would be to get somebody later in the draft that they could develop for some sort of a role down the line. Finally, I do expect the team to put out a rebuttal to the congressional letter sent to the Federal Trade Commission rather soon. As I've been saying, this one is not over. And even if the FTC does choose to investigate some of the allegations, it would likely take nine to 15 months. That's the average time for an investigation, especially one like this, based on the people I've talked to who are familiar with these kind of things. I talked to some attorneys and, some, and a former longtime FTC employee who's no longer there, who said they have a hard time seeing the FTC take on the revenue sharing accusation, for example, because it would be viewed within the FTC as a squabble between two companies. They're really about consumer protection. So in that case, it would be between the NFL and Washington. And I'll say again, the NFL forces them to undergo a rigorous auditing process every few years, and an outside firm audits the team's books every year. But there will be more to come, I'm sure, on both sides. With that, let's get back to football. After this break, I'll be back with ESPN NFL analyst Matt Bowen as we discuss what Washington should do and his own draft memories. And keep in mind, you can watch Matt and the um, NFL matchup crew in a draft special on Tuesday night. Anyway, with Matt, what legend did he get picked ahead of, one spot ahead of, and what was his draft day experience like? Guys, if you're looking for that extra confidence when it's time to have a little bit of fun, let me tell you about BlueChew.com. BlueChew is a unique online service. It delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, but it comes in chewable form and it's at a fraction of the cost. Blue Chew's tablets will help you combat all forms of ED. Plus, it's an online prescription service. No visits to the doctor's office, no awkward conversations, no waiting in line at the pharmacy, and it ships right to your door in a discreet package. The process is really simple. Sign up at bluechew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you are approved, you'll receive your prescription within days, and the best part, all done online. Blue Chew's licensed medical providers are going to work with you to find the right ingredient and the strengths for your personal subscription. Plus, their tablets are made in the United States. They prepare, they ship direct, and it's so much cheaper than going through a pharmacy. And here's a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code KIME, K-E-I-M, at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. That's bluechew.com, promo code KIME, K-E-I-M, to receive your first month free. And we thank Blue Chew for being a sponsor of our show. Welcome back. Now, here's my conversation with ESPN's Matt Bowen. Matt, it's you and I again. So we're talking draft here this time. And you, first of all, you, you've written something recently on ESPN Plus, a couple different things. 
best fits for receivers. I think you've had a couple other stories too. Mm -hmm. Uh, First of all, tell people a little bit about what you've been able to write lately and then what they need to check out. Sure. Uh, Well, during the draft, I I usually write some annual pieces. Um, I've done them every year at ESPN. So I start with the top traits of every quarterback in this class. I do that every year. And it's basically based on their traits as a thrower, their ability to isolate and eliminate from the pocket, throw with pace and touch, throw with arm strength down the field, attack windows, throw with rhythm. So I took, you know, the top six quarterbacks who I see in this year's class and broke down their key trait. I did the wide receiver fits. I took 15 wide receivers who I really like and tried. Obviously, no one can predict perfectly where they're going to go in the draft. I tried to have a feel where they're going to go in the draft and fit their traits to the best scheme or team fit in the NFL. And the last one I just did was I took 10 players who I think are have the traits to fit the modern NFL game, right. you know, the versatility on defense, uh, whether in the secondary or in the front seven, um, how you fit as a wide receiver on the offensive side of the football, what scheme you would fit best in. And also the, you know, the traits from pass catching running backs, someone like James Cook from Georgia, who isn't being discussed enough in my opinion, because he can be deployed. I'm going to use that term deployed because I'm not saying he's this player, but can be deployed like an Alvin Kamara in an NFL offense. And the last piece I'll do will be out next week. I do it every year. My, I call it my draft superlatives. So I'll take 50 prospects and say, this is the best of every prospect in the draft. So from a secondary perspective, best run defender, most urgency, best post defender, best range. I always use best enforcer, you know, because I want that in my second. If I'm coaching right. the NFL, I want someone to drive top down and put their pads on. Okay. So I look at players like that and, That'll be out next week. And then next, what is it, next Tuesday night, um, 9.30 Eastern, will be our draft show on NFL Matchup. So it's a primetime show. We're taking a different look this year, John, because we base a lot of our draft uh, show content and matchup based on the Super Bowl because that's all NFL teams. The first tape you're going to watch if I'm a coach in the NFL in the offseason is the Super Bowl tape. What do the champs do? How'd they win? What are they doing schematically, personnel-wise, down and distance-wise? And from that game, what did we see? The ability to create pressure on the quarterback in the second half from the Rams. In the fronts, they did it out. A lot of loaded fronts. A lot of five-man fronts or five-man loaded fronts when you're tilted to one side. We're going to apply that to the edge rushers in this class that we like and be heavy on the quarterbacks. Because I've always said there's two drafts every year. There's the NFL draft. There's a quarterback draft. And regardless of what you think about this quarterback class, there are guys with traits that can play in the, fo- in the National Football League. Some guys may, might need a little bit more pro coaching to develop. There's no question they have the traits. And regardless of what you see with mock drafts, I have a hard time believing that no quarterbacks are going in the top 15. Quarterbacks rise in the draft. They rise quick. And that's going to impact a team like Washington at number yeah. 11. And that's what I was going to get to, too, because if you can get – if they get if, – if there are two quarterbacks go top 10, even one, that's going to push somebody else down that they mm-hmm. – probably really like so which how many quarterbacks do you think would go in the top 10 at this point if you, and obviously it's just a guess because everything guess. Right now is a guess i'm gonna say two i'm gonna say kenny pickett and malik willis i think they both go in the top 10 and i think desmond ritter will be a first round pick yeah. maybe in the second half of the first round so those are three quarterbacks and look i could be totally wrong right we could be sitting here at the end of the month and it's and in the first round, only one of them goes, right? But it could be four. The, Listen, yeah. some teams like Sam Howell in there. Sure they do. Sam Howell is very coachable traits. Yeah. No question about it. Very coachable traits. Matt Corral from Ole Miss. 
you put him in the right offense, it needs some spread game elements because of what he was asked to do at the college level, Lane Kiffin's offense. But you talk about a rhythm, rhythmic thrower with short to intermediate juice. He throws a great ball. Yeah. And you throw a location to give you, I call it a runner's ball, John. So if you're a wide receiver and you're catching a cross, you're not breaking stride. Catch and go, which is a big part of today's game at the NFL level. So I think there's going to be two. I think it's going to be Pickett and Willis. I don't know who goes first. Um, but they'll both have pro traits that can be used in today's NFL offenses. So that pushes someone to 11. If you're looking at 11, who do you think gets pushed down? There are guys like, because you brought, you know, we, Kyle Hamilton's a guy that mm-hmm. would tempt them because he can play that in that Buffalo nickel role for them. Then you have the receivers who are there, London, Wilson, and Olave. One of those guys, maybe two, will be at that spot. Um, Devin Lloyd, a linebacker. I don't know. Yeah. And I was going to get into this in a minute too, because it goes to the value of that position, but of that group, who do you like for Washington at 11? I'd have a hard time passing on Kyle Hamilton. If he's there at 11, hard time. And I know the wide receiver class is deep and it's going to be deep every year. Okay. Look, you know, I coach at the high school level. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> high school kids are catching passes uh, much more than they did in 1995. when I was playing at Columbia West or running the beer, right? Split back beer. Okay. <laughs> so, um, high school offenses have exploded in terms of spread and trips concepts and running college level concepts at the high school level. So you're going to have deep wide receiver classes almost consistently. That's just my theory because players are developing uh, receiving skills at, much, at a much younger age. Um, but I'd have a hard time passing on Kyle Hamilton, even if Garrett Wilson is there, even if Drake London is there, because I think Kyle Hamilton could be a game changer on defense. I don't care what he runs in the 40. Uh, he plays fast on tape. You know, when you're talking about 40 position, uh, the safety position, 4-4, four, 4-5, four, 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 they all work. They all work. I play with some great safeties who are in a 4-6. And then my piece I just did, uh, I had to pick a player comp for Kyle Hamilton. I comped him to Justin Simmons from Denver. Justin Simmons ran a 4-6-1. Justin Simmons one of the top five safeties in today's game. Okay, so safety position in terms of safety speed, is more about your eyes, more about your natural instincts, awareness, you know, get a jump in the football. And Kyle Hamilton, to me, he's not a true center fielder, right? You're not going to play him as a post safety. Um, that's not why you draft him. He's a split field safety, which is quarters, cover two, cover six, because he has explosive forward ability. He's got that enforcer mentality where he will physically strike you on contact. You see him on the tape. Yeah. He, he can heat up the alley as a run defender. And then you start talking about him. In sub packages, like you're saying with Washington and their free safety nickel package. He can be, I call it, when you have a player like Collins, who was there last year, or Kyle Hamilton, it's more of an overhang. You're not really a true slot defender. You're an overhang defender, or you can create disruption at the second level. Kyle Hamilton is a six foot four, 220 pound frame. He has the frame to match up to elite tight ends in this league. Mm-hmm. He has a frame to match up to Dallas Goddard twice a year, right? He does. He has that frame to match up to him twice a year. And that's what you want. Somebody can match the top five tight end and play him down the seam, play him underneath on cross or stick to the hip, be disruptive, be physical with him. Use that long frame to disrupt the release. And I think he can be schemed as a blitzer. You saw it in the Notre Dame film. Yeah. No question about it. He can be schemed as a blitzer. So that guy has second and third level impact ability. Plus you can scheme out of your sub packages as a blitzer. He's got a rare size athletic combo. You don't see safeties that are built like that very often. Now, at six foot four, he is high hipped. He is a little tight. He has average change of direction because he's six foot four, John. And when you're six foot four and you're that long, you're not going to be 
changing directions um, like a five foot eight running back. It's just not humanly possible. Okay. So there are, anytime we get to this point in the draft process, people are going to look at, look at some of these prospects and, and try to tear them down a little bit. And that was a couple weeks ago when uh, the reported 40 time uh, for Kyle Hamilton at, on campus in Notre Dame was a high four sixes, low four sevens. He ran a four or five, nine electric at the combine. And if you watch the tape, you're not thinking about his 40 time. It never crosses your mind. That's a positive thing because he plays fast. There's a big difference between game speed and stopwatch or track speed. And Kyle Hamilton plays extremely fast, and I think he's disruptive. Now, let's say they did go wide receiver. If it's Wilson, London, and Olave, I'm taking Wilson. I think Garrett Wilson is dynamic. Uh, I think he has playmaking traits. My comp for him is Stefan Diggs from the Buffalo Bills because he's a three-level target. He ran a 4-3-8-40 at the combine. You know Ohio State, John. He, we, we understand he can stretch you vertically. He had six touchdowns last year in vertical throws. We know he can stretch you vertically. But I like him even more as a, as a catch-and-run target, Yeah. okay, because he's very elusive after the catch. He's got a physical element to him. I think that's very important at any position in football, but especially in today's game with the wide receiver position. Can you create yards after the catch? It's easy to run after the catch when there's no one there, right? But in the NFL, there's going to be people there. Can you either make people miss or can you slip tackles and can you play through contact? That's what Garrett Wilson can do. And, again, he's very sudden. He's got that stop-start speed in the open field, John. And, look, uh, is he Keenan Allen as a route runner? No. No, he's not. He's still a developing player. He's a young player. He's going to get pro coaching. He's going to get more coaching because there's no time restraints like there are in college football. Okay, this becomes your job where you run routes every day. And he can improve there because he has the traits to do that. And one of the things, too, like I know they really like Olave, too. And, you know, and I think there's going to be a debate which one do you rather have. Also, Drake London. Mm -hmm. um, what would you how would you see, though? And you did one of the things you did recently was best fits for receivers. So how did you see those guys um, fitting in to, to possibly? Well, I didn't. I, you know, I talked to you about it on text when I was writing. I ended up right. not put, putting someone to Washington. doesn't mean that Washington won't get one. But at that right. point, when I was trying to play out the draft, how it would go. In my piece, I had Wilson to Atlanta at eight, Drake right. London to the Jets at 10, and I didn't see a wide receiver that would go next that high. Um, you had Olave, I think, at 23 to the Cardinals. I think. Yeah, I'm a little lower on Olave than a lot of people, right. and it, does, it doesn't mean that I don't think he's a good football player. I just think he's a perimeter target in the NFL. Okay, I think he's a glider. Um, he's a really advanced route runner, really advanced, very fluid in his hips, fluid at the break and create separation, and can stretch you down the field. But my main one concern about Chris Olave from an NFL perspective is the lack of a physical dimension to his game. Okay. Can he play through contact? Can he catch the ball in the dirty areas of the field, which is between the numbers? Can he produce after the catch, you know, in heavy traffic areas? That's the one concern I have on him where I know Wilson can do it, where I know Drake London can do it. Um, in terms of London, you know, he's your boundary X. Right. He's your boundary X in the NFL. Backside of three by one sets. You can isolate. You can throw the fade ball too. We know he's got tremendous contested catch ability, former basketball player at the high school level. Um, real soft hands. And he is physical after the catch. He will drop his pads on you. Uh, he is more of a straight line player again because of his frame. He's got a very long frame. Yeah. Uh, the one concern I have on him is vertical separation ability. I don't think you saw it enough versus back 12 defensive backs. Right. 
You're not playing against Pac-12 defensive backs anymore. So that is something you have to wait. Now, how I would utilize them, boundary X, I'd utilize them in the slot. I'd make a Marquise yeah. Colston in the slot. That was my comfort was Marquise Colston because of what Colston did with Breeze in New Orleans, running that running the, the bender or the over and running the straight seam ball down the field. Well, that's where you get a lot of matchups. And you look at today's NFL, John, so split safety heavy. Let's put him right down the middle. Right. Let's go after him. Let's target him. Let's match up Drake London inside against quarters on a safety because that's the matchup. Let's go, let's go vertical against the safety inside. Let's run the over inside, make a safety chase. And I know Drake London has the physicality to him and the body frame where he can post up a safety on an interior throw. And also strike zone, which is the 20 to 35 yard line, red zones, we all know, zero to 20. That's where I'm taking my shots to him. That's where I'm taking my shots. Um, the other position then with, again, sticking on safety, for example, Daxton Hill is one, um, mm-hmm. Joaquin Brisker is another. Mm-hmm. How do you like, I see you're smiling now on Brisker. What, what do you think of those guys? Because, and, and I, I, I know Hill came in for a visit and, you know, I've heard good things about Brisker filling the role they would like in that Buffalo nickel role. What do you think of those two? Um, Dax Hill, we talked about in the previous episode, you know, I come from the Chauncey Gardner-Johnson from, the New Orleans Saints, who I really like, that slot hybrid safety. Dax Hill is extremely fluid, extremely sudden. Um, his transition speed is outstanding, so he can you can match him in man. He's got the length and the coverage traits of an outside corner. And we're not surprised if some teams looked at him as an outside corner. Uh, he can do that. And he's got the fluid ability as a zone dropper to get loose in space, drop the curl, the hook, drive downhill, tackle. Got great ball skills. I don't see him as a true center fielder, but he would fit, fit as a quarters, cover three overhang, but especially manned up in the slot. Now, Brisker, I really like. I think Brisker is Micah Hyde. That's how I would count him, too. Mm-hmm. You know, a safety with multidimensional traits. Who can play quarters, cover two, can rotate to the post. Um, very instinctive and aware versus the run game. Does what he's asked to do in the run game. Good tackler, strong tackler. I think his playmaking element will rise in an NFL defense. I mean, I really like Brisker. I really like him. I know he's not being talked about a lot with the other safeties, but someone who can run the alley, play cover three, man match underneath, get physical versus tight ends, be disruptive in the box. So, again, multidimensional, like a Micah Hyde, can do pretty much everything for you and be a very productive player. One more thing on Hamilton before I want to get to linebackers too. Um, with Hamilton, you mentioned the the play speed and all that. What are the little things that safeties do that you see him doing that says I'm not worried about his speed? Because and you mentioned playing with the eyes and all that. But what when you're watching his game, is it is it cheating a little bit because of his vision? Is it is it is it keeping his feet moving and always being ready to react? What is it that allows him to play a little bit faster? Well, everyone's, everyone will see if they haven't seen yet. You'll see it when he's drafted. That interception he had last year in, uh, I think it was week one, against oh, Florida, Florida State. State. Oh, yeah. He came from the opposite hash. And that's the college hash. You know, college hashes are like high school caches, like a mile apart. And uh, he, he made the play outside the numbers to the boundary. So how do you get there? Well, he read the quarterback's path. He understood where the route concept was. He had no vertical threat to his side of the field. He said, I'm going to make a play. And when he opens and runs at six foot four, he is going to eat up grass. You have to remember that too. He's a six foot four player. So his stride is extremely long. You've seen him make plays in the deep half quarters and the post and the football because he sees it fast. He gets a jump on the ball. He has a high football intelligence in terms of understanding concepts, wide receiver splits, alignments, 
down and distance game situation, all that stuff comes into play at the safety position and allows you to get a jump on the football. Again, so if you could be a 4-4 guy and don't have the, the eyes, the awareness, the instincts, and you play like a 4-7 guy, or you can be a 4-7, 4-6 guy, like a Justin Simmons at 4-6 in Denver and play like a 4-4 guy because he does. Right. And those are things that are so important that we don't get discussed enough because we're just staring at a time right. from the combine or a pro day. And I'll tell you what, once he gets in the league and starts playing, no one's going to care. If you ask someone on the street with Justin Simmons, no one knows. No, no, one, no one cares anymore. Once you're in the league, that stuff's gone. It's gone. Okay, the only time you're going to run it again, okay, I went on a workout tour after a cut from St. Louis. I broke my foot uh, first game, uh, my second season at the vet. You know, we're still playing at the vet in oh. Philly. And I went on a workout tour when I got somewhat healthy. And I ran a 40 in Green Bay in Arizona. I think I ran one in Seattle. Um, that's the only time, right? And they never even told me what it was anyway. So um, you're not going to run a 40 again unless you get cut a couple of times like me. So who cares? Can you play or not? Do you look fast on tape? You know, and I, I, I've had a much different view now that I've been coaching. And I understand it's a high school level. It's still football. And I have no idea what our kids run at the high school level. I have no idea. We don't test them in 40s, right? Why would we test them in a sophomore in a 40-yard dash? All right. I want to see if you can get off the numbers in cover two. I want to see if you can flat foot read in quarters and still overlap the vertical outside the numbers. That stuff shows me you're fast. That shows, shows that you understand the game of football. You know how to get a jump on the play. When Kyle Hamilton comes downhill, he's going to strike you. We talked about that. When he runs the alley, he sees it fast and he goes. And he can tackle in the open field. Those are qualities I look for at the position because I want guys that are around the football. Because I'll tell you this. Now, I have this discussion every year. A guy will have like five interceptions off of tip passes. Oh, they're tip passes. You know, you're not there by accident, John. Right. You're not there by – you don't make plays by accident, not in this league. You're there because you're supposed to be there by alignment or assignment where you got to jump on the football to where you're in position to catch the overthrow of the tip. And you have the hands to finish. I dropped plenty of interceptions in my career. Plenty. Two at Dallas one time, like right in my hands. Okay, so – that stuff matters. The only guy that I know liked to get timed in his 40 as his career kept going was Daryl Green because he right. knew at age 40 he could still run a four, four, three or whatever. That's right. why he was like he was like the beautiful runway, runway model still going down the runway at 40 because the, the legs are still there, right? That's what Daryl Green was. He was he knew he had it, and I don't blame him. Um, with the middle linebacker position. So Washington uses a they use their Buffalo nickel package and, and Collins in there, but more than 50% of the time. The inside linebacker or the three linebacker sets, they probably used six. I think it, I had it on next gen stats. It was at 65 plays for the whole season in a three linebacker set. Clearly, the league's gone that way defensively. So, how like they need to find more linebackers. They could use a guy who's a really good middle linebacker. How important is that position still? Because I'm looking at a guy like Devin Lloyd, who will be there at 11, and is the value there to take a guy like that? And knowing that they also have Jamin Davis and Cole Holcomb, two young linebackers they feel are both capable of being good for them for a few years. Yeah, I think the linebacker position is still important, but it's a linebacker who has three down traits, right? The, the days of the first, second down linebacker, right. Greg Lloyd from Pittsburgh with the neck roll, 
Uh, you know, those days are gone. They are. And look at a team like Buffalo. They've played nickel on over 90% of defensive snaps this year. That was their base defense. Two linebackers in the game, right? Now, see, there's going to be situations where you line up against Kevin Stefanski in Cleveland. they got three tight ends on the field, right? You line up against Bill Belichick when he goes 21 personnel or 22 personnel. You need three linebackers in the field. We understand there's going to be certain situations in every football game we're going to need three backers in the field and three guys who could come downhill and fit up the run. But right now, like in Washington, they drafted Davis last year. What is Davis? He's a three down player. That's you project him to be at when he develops in the NFL because he's got run and hit traits. He's got second level range. He can match underneath. He can play as a hook defender and drive top down and you can scheme him as a blitzer. Those are kind of the traits right now for, you know, the run and hit linebacker. You still have to be able to key and diagnose versus the run game. Even when you're a nickel or dime, Right. 11 personnel, you're playing Philly. You better be able to fit up the run game against Philly, right? right? You're playing against Dallas and Zeke. You better be able to fit up the run game against Dallas and Zeke. So good points. Those, those, you still have to have those traits. Um, <clears throat> does that exist at number 11? Does Devin Lloyd go as high as 11? I don't know that he does. I really like Devin Lloyd. I watched his tape this week. I think he has impact traits. He made a bunch of plays at Utah, a bunch of plays at Utah. And the versatility he brings. Now, would Devin Lloyd be a better fit for a team like New England over Washington, where they have more multiple fronts, where their linebackers historically under Belichick, guys like Van Noy, can play multiple positions, can be an edge rusher as a scheme edge rusher. Now, Devin Lloyd can do that. You can scheme him. He's got some pass rushing traits, good hand usage. He's around the football. He can run and chase and pursue and drive downhill. Made some plays in the football last year, too, four interceptions. But, again, it goes back to position value. You're going to draft a linebacker. We already, like you said, had two young linebackers. Or do you wait later in the draft? You get someone like Christian Harris from Alabama. Well, I think it's a true – if you're talking about stack linebackers, stack linebackers, he is the best stack linebacker in this class. Okay, he doesn't have the traits of Lloyd. Okay, he probably doesn't have the speed of, of Dean out of Georgia. Okay, he doesn't have the coverage ability of Quay Walker, who I really like out of Georgia. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But Christian Harris, in terms of old school football, reading guard pull and key and diagnose and getting downhill in a hurry and getting downhill with a pro demeanor at the point of attack. Really good football player. Really good football player. He's going to be drafted, can play in the league for a long time. And, and they still need, like, make no mistake, they need a guy like that. I just wonder about at 11, if you take a guy like that there, there's also guys like, you know, Troy Anderson, Chad Muma. I think those guys will get mentioned too after round one. Um, so there are. Chad Muma's interesting. I watched Muma this week too, out of Wyoming. What'd you think? And there's some plays he makes that, I mean, he absolutely goes. Okay. So when he sees it and he goes straight line speed, I mean, straight line juice when he goes, he's got ball skills. He made a couple plays in the ball this year. Uh, I mean, fills up the stat sheet. Okay. Now his change of direction ability is a little limited. He's a little high hipped as an athlete, um, but he ran the four six. He jumped 40 inches in the vertical. Immediately, he's a core four special teamer for you, right? With developmental traits where he can work to be a quality starter. Is he ever going to be a high level producer? I don't know that, but a quality starter in this league, somebody can draft after the you know first round into the Next couple of rounds of the draft, yeah, he's got the traits that you like. Now, I was low hips, but my problem, too, as a player, I was fast, but I was low hips and low upper body. So I was only like five, nine and a half. So that was my problem. It wasn't high hips. It was the low hips that got me mm -hmm. along with the low 
upper body. Um, last thing, Matt, what is your, when you look back on your draft memory experience, what are some things that stick out to you that, that you remember, whether in a fun way or in a, you know, emotional way that, that stood out about that whole experience for you? Um, why to wait a long time. Okay. So I was a sixth round pick and obviously I knew I wasn't a first round pick. I knew it wasn't a second round pick. I knew it probably wasn't a third. I thought, you know, somewhere in the fourth round, maybe fifth round. And I'm, you know, back then there's only two days of the draft. It was Saturday and Sunday. So I went to bed Saturday night after the Bears drafted Mike Brown. So it was heartbroken because obviously I wanted to play for the Bears. And then Gary Berry out of Ohio State was drafted to Green Bay. I'm thinking, man, you know, those are my, you know, it's Chicago Bears and the Green Bay Packers. The start of day three, I got a call from the Pittsburgh Steelers. So they're going to draft me in the fourth round. That's the you're thinking the Pittsburgh Steelers, right? right? They drafted someone else. And then the Cowboys said they're going to draft me. And I'm thinking, okay, I can wear the star in my helmet, you know, because I'm big in the history of the league and right. uh, it means a lot to me. And they did not draft me either. So I had to wait longer. And I remember I was at my, my parents' house where I grew up. They still live there now in Glen Ellen, Illinois, um, where Alec Pierce is from. Alec Pierce, wide receiver yeah. from Cincinnati. Player. Uh, someone you could target, you know, later in the draft. Third uh, round guy, maybe. Yeah, out of Glenbard West High School. And so I went up to my folks' room. I was walking around with my high school bat. You know, so I was nervous thinking, you know. And my agent called me and said, look, you might have to prepare to be an undrafted free agent. I'm thinking, you got to be kidding me, right? And nothing against being an undrafted free agent, but it's just, you know, it's a harder climb. Everyone knows that. And I was upstairs and late in the sixth round, pick number 198. I got a call from the St. Louis Rams. And it was Peter Jensen, the defense coordinator, said, Matt, we're going to draft you. So I knew. And then obviously my family was downstairs watching ESPN. About 30 seconds later, you could just hear downstairs erupt because they saw it on TV. And you talk about just the you're so tense and so stressed. I think even top 10 guys are too, right? Because everyone wants to be number one, right? You just, and you see it. You see it every year, John. We're watching ESPN. Guys are still in the draft in the green room at pick number 20. You can see it on their faces because you've been doing this your whole life. I started in 1986 playing for the Glen Ellen Golden Eagles, right? I wanted to be Jim McMahon. Okay, everyone did. This is 1986. Yeah. 1985, Bears won it all. So, I've been playing football since 1986. You go through high school, uh, you know, and I tell the players I coach this all the time that I didn't play immediately. You know, I went to Iowa as a quarterback uh, under Coach Fry, and then Chuck Long, who we talked about in a previous episode, Chuck Long asked me if I wanted to play on Sundays. I said, yes, Coach, I do. He said, it's not going to happen at quarterback. Come play defense for us, right? So I moved over to defense. So I had to relearn how to backpedal and play backwards after doing quarterback as a redshirt freshman. Uh, and back then, you understand, this is the 90s, John. Uh, scout team quarterbacks in red jersey, didn't, that didn't matter. You got hit. You got right. hit hard all the time. Bobby Diaco used to be a defense coordinator at Notre Dame, and the head coach of UConn was a starting linebacker. And Bobby used to – I mean, he's put me on the ground every single day. I mean, every day. I got hit going back to the huddle at times. <laughs> and so I switched over to defense freshman year, retro freshman year, played special teams sophomore year. I was our, you know – uh, sub package safety, but this is 1996. Uh, there's not a lot of sub packages in the Big Ten in 1996. You know, when, when Breeze got to Purdue, things changed, but you know, you're playing against Michigan, it's the I formation, right? You know? right, right. <laughs> That's what it was. So I got snaps in games, but not a lot. It wasn't until my junior year that I played, you know, and I played behind two NFL guys. Damian Robinson was drafted by the Jets 
Next year was Kerry Cooks, who got drafted in the fifth round. So I was playing behind two NFL guys. I had to wait my turn, and it took a long time. So it was three years post high school, so I was a starter, right? So you start thinking about all this stuff in your head while the draft is going on, and you start to question, am I talented enough to play in this league? Do they view me as talented enough? I thought I was. Do they view me as talented enough? And, you know, it was a long way. And obviously I was picking number 199. I remember 198, number 199 was Tom Brady. So <laughs> same draft. There you go. So I remember looking at the screen, and I played against Brady, obviously, in college. He was at Michigan. Looking at the screen, and they, you know, when you get to that point of the draft, you know, Mel's not breaking those guys down right. like the top right. 10, right? They just show like eight guys who got drafted. I look at the screen, it says Matt Bowen, it says Tom Brady. I said, okay, uh, there goes Brady of the Patriots. And at that point, you're not thinking anything of it. Now we're the same age. I'm doing a podcast with you, and this guy's going back to play another season. <laughs> but you were so, picked ahead of him. It was one spot. So that's like okay. that's like my claim to fame. No one talks about what I did as a player. So, but I can still say, you know, if I'm uncomfortable at a holiday party, I can still say, hey, you know what? I was drafted one spot ahead of Tom Brady. I'm sure that I'm sure St. Louis feels good about that too. Yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> and a lot of other teams. Yeah. But la- last thing too with that, did you read magazines throughout that? Like, did you because the internet wasn't as big with with all that stuff? Then, no so, like, so, like, how did did you how did you follow throughout the process to know what maybe was going on? Were you reading magazines? Were you listening to anything? Uh, talking to my agent. That's it. I mean, we, Mel had his big book. Okay, Mel comped me to I Sam Shade. Remember Sam Shade? who played in Washington. <laughs> Yeah, that was my pro comp with Sam Shade. I remember right. that. The book is still over in my parents. I need to go get it. Um, but no, there wasn't all this stuff. I couldn't imagine going through it now. Just the noise. And, you know, and look, we do it at ESPN. There's And there's also, from a social media perspective, right. it's all day, 24 hours a day on the draft. And the draft is, is a big thing. It's a big season in our business. And there'd be a lot of outside noise. A lot of outside noise. So I didn't have that, which was nice in, in retrospect to think about it, that you didn't have to sit there as a prospect and say, well, ESPN said this about me. CBS said this. NFL Network doesn't think I could play. All that stuff. Or the opposite, where you're overprojected from right. a media perspective. And then you're sitting there on draft day. You thought it would be a high day two pick, and it's the end of day two, and you haven't been picked yet. You know, So that would be tough. That would be tough. Um, but no, back then I had Coach Ferris and the staff and my agent, Jack Vector. That was it. There was no outside noise. And obviously, you, you turn on ESPN, they were not talking about Matt Bowen on ESPN because I was a six-round pick. Did you ever tell Brady you were picked ahead of him? <laughs> no. He knows. <laughs> that would be, nice be a good 30 for 30. Yeah, yeah. He could bring his seven or eight rings, whatever he's got. Yeah, bring those over there. <laughs> Matt, you're the absolute best. I appreciate all your time. Thank you, man. Thank you, John. That's it for this episode. I'll be back with another one on Wednesday. I'll talk to you next time.